Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast. This show is brought to you by Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings at Walt Disney World. I'm Carrie Hayward, and each week I feature Disney wedding updates, money saving tips, and interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney couples. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking all about how to get started planning your wedding or vow renewal at Walt Disney World. Whether you've been planning your Disney wedding in your head for years, or you just discovered that Disney does weddings, we have got the steps and tips that will set you on the path to your dream Disney's fairy tale wedding or vow renewal. My guest today is Mary Roby. Welcome, Mary. Hi, Carrie. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Now, we're going to get into the pricing for Disney weddings and how to book them and the planning process in just a second. But first, I would love to have you tell my listeners a little bit about your wedding at Walt Disney World. Yeah, I would love to. So Stephen and I, we got married uh, July 21st, 2022. It seems like it was so long ago, but so fast as well. (laughs) And we got married on a Thursday, believe it or not. And we had our ceremony at Disney's Wedding Pavilion at the Grand Floridian Resort, followed by our pre-reception and reception at Disney's California Grill, which is at the top of the Contemporary Resort. And we had surprise guests, Mickey and Minnie, which was lovely. And then following that, we actually had a dessert party in the evening at Terrace de Fleur in France with a ride mix-in. So it was a really lovely and probably the best day ever, which I know is very cliche to say, but it really was a truly remarkable, magical day. That's fantastic. Well, Mary is going to jump in with her experiences and the tips that she learned from planning a wedding as we go through the basics to get you started planning your own event. So first, let's start with pricing. This is what everybody wants to know up front. How does pricing work for a Walt Disney World wedding? There are no packages. So in the past, they have had, you know, here's a flat rate package. You pay this much. This is what you get, blah, blah, blah. They did away with those several years ago. And now the way it works when you want to get married at Walt Disney World or have a vow renewal is you just have to spend a total amount with Disney, which they call the event minimum expenditure. And that amount is going to be based on the ceremony venue you pick, the day of the week you pick, and the time of day that you pick. So then you're going to have other minimum expenditures, areas where you'll have to spend a certain amount of money, and all of that is going to count toward the overall event minimum expenditure. So you can look at the event minimum expenditure as the basic overall cost for your day. And if you have Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, there is a self-calculating budget starting on page 242 of the ebook where you can put in all the things that you want for your wedding and your guest count, and it will show you how much you're spending toward that event minimum expenditure that you're trying to hit. And it's also going to show you the tax and service charge because those are additional. Those don't count. So we'll talk about those in a second. Once you have your event minimum expenditure, that overall number that you need to hit, there is going to be a ceremony venue fee. And that counts toward the event minimum and it starts at $7,000. So the ceremony venue fee varies by venue. So whether you're getting married at the wedding pavilion or inside Epcot or at one of the resort locations, that's going to determine 
what your event minimum expenditure is, and how much the ceremony venue fee will be. All of these are listed in chapter one of the Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, which was just updated when Disney changed all of these prices in early 2023. So then how do you calculate the cost of your event? What you're going to do is you're going to take the event minimum that's based on your venue, day of the week, and time of day, subtract the ceremony venue fee, and the number that is remaining is the amount you need to spend on your wedding with Disney for anything else that Disney offers for the day of your event. So let's take an example. Say you want to get married at the wedding pavilion on a Friday at 5 p.m. That has an event minimum expenditure of $25,000. Now the ceremony venue fee to use the wedding pavilion is $8,000. So when you subtract that from $25,000, that leaves $17,000 that you have to spend on anything else that you can get from Disney for your wedding, your pre-reception, and your reception. So that would be flowers, decor, food, cake, transportation, entertainment, even photo and video if you decide to use Disney for those. Mary, can you talk a little bit about how you guys chose your venues? So my husband is in finance and I am a teacher, so we make clearly a lot of money. I'm just kidding. No, we don't. Um, (laughs) So when we were looking at getting married, we really we're trying to do it in an affordable way for us. And so we really started looking at venues here in Michigan where we're from. So that was part of the compromise. And I had always grown up with the idea of getting married at Disney. My parents actually honeymooned at Disney World when they got married. So we used to frequent all the time as a kid. So it was always like, oh, that's where I want to get married, which is the very cliche Disney wedding bride story usually you hear. But truly, I was like, oh, this is not feasible. So to be humorous, my husband was like, well, Mary, let's just see. Let's just, you know, see. We've looked at venues in Michigan and he's like, I know you just want to see how much is it cost and is it going to be realistic for us? And so we really didn't want to be one of those couples that had to like take out a mortgage uh, to pay for their wedding or anything like that. So when we were looking at the Disney, we're like, okay, like this is going to be crazy. This is kind of that blue sky dream art of what we want our day to be. And when we actually sat down, and looked at the cost using your your wedding planning guide, as well as listening to this podcast, I was like, I think we, we may be able to do this cheaper than in Michigan. And so that really kind of sparked my husband. He's like, okay, let's do it then. Like if we can do it for the same amount of cost as a Michigan wedding or cheaper, what's going to hold us back? And so when we were looking at cost, we we looked at the wedding pavilion first, because it is a little bit more of a traditional venue, as well as it's a little bit more of the affordable options out of the options that you can choose from at Disney, because Disney will allow you to get married anywhere, but there is price tags involved in your place that you choose to have your event at. And so in terms of the wedding pavilion, it was like this perfect little chapel, and it was so cute and beautiful. And, And I really think the pictures don't do it justice at all. And then, you know, every girl wants to get married in front of the castle, And I think my husband had like a heart attack when he saw the price tag of the, you know, the plaza wedding. (laughs) Um, And so when we were talking with our actual initial call with our wedding consultant, we said, you know, we really love Magic Kingdom. It holds a special place in our heart. What would be some options that you think are great? without paying the price tag of the plaza or the train station wedding. And she's the one that actually suggested California Grill. And my husband fell in love with like the pictures and 
he was sold as soon as she said it has probably some of the best food options on property. And my husband's a big foodie. So he was like, yes, let's do the food option one. So that's how we went with California Grill because we got the view of the castle, but not the price tag of the castle wedding. So that was kind of a lovely spot for us. That's a great tip. Yeah. And that's what's so cool about Walt Disney World is there are so many different venues that no matter what kind of wedding you want or what feel you want, there's a venue that will fit it. So that's great that you were able to take advantage of the views of Magic Kingdom from California Grill. Yeah. And not pay all that money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So the event minimum expenditure pricing is only based on your ceremony. And if you want, you can just have a ceremony. You don't have to have any kind of food or party afterwards. But if you do want to add one, there are a couple of ways to do it. You can either add a full reception, which would be an event that is three or more hours, usually three to five hours, or you can add what Disney calls a celebration, and that is an event that's only one or two hours. And they have a little bit of different rules, but the pricing is very different. So if you decide to do a full reception, you will then need to spend per person at least $140 at brunch, at least $175 at lunch, $210 per person for dinner. So the times, what's, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, what determines whether it's lunch, dinner, breakfast, or brunch? It depends on the time of your ceremony. So if your ceremony is at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 9.30 a.m., you are considered a breakfast or brunch event, and you would only need to meet the $140 per person food and beverage minimum. And the event will only last four hours. So usually that's like a one-hour pre-reception and then a three-hour reception, or you can skip the pre-reception and have all four hours be your reception. To get the lunch minimum of $175 per person, that would be a noon ceremony, and that will be a five-hour event. And then the dinner minimums kick in for any ceremony starting at 2.30 p.m., 5 p.m., or 7.30 p.m. And that's also a five-hour event. Now, if you decide that you want something more casual, maybe you just want to do a dessert party or just a cake and champagne celebration instead of a full reception, to do a celebration, you just have to meet a food and beverage minimum of $100 per person. And a celebration, they call these walk-around events, which means that there will be some seating, but there might not be complete seating for all of your guests. And you can serve any type of food you want. It doesn't have to be desserts, but it's not going to be like sit down, saw into a steak kind of thing. It has to be finger food, something that conceivably your guests could eat if they were standing up. But Disney can make anything into those. So like if you wanted steak, they could make you sliders. I wouldn't worry about that if if there's a certain type of food that you have your heart set on. I wouldn't let that determine whether or not you feel you're able to do a celebration. Now, the food and beverage minimums per person are met by any food or beverage or cake that you have at the cocktail hour or the pre-reception. Disney calls it a pre-reception. At the reception or the meal of the celebration, cake is included. So whatever the price of your cake is will be divided by the number of your guests and applied to the food and beverage minimum. And then your bar. So whether you have alcohol or you just serve soft drinks, or maybe you only have coffee and tea, any drinks that you serve at the event will count toward the per person minimum. So there are a lot of different ways you can have a Disney wedding. You could just have a ceremony at Disney and then maybe go off-site to a restaurant or book your own reservation at Ohana or another restaurant on-site or at Disney Springs. 
you could do a ceremony and a celebration. So maybe you would have your ceremony and then either at the same site or at another site, you could serve cake and have champagne, do your first dances, and just have a brief celebration after the ceremony. Or maybe you have your ceremony and you go have a dessert party later that night at the Grand Floridian to see the Magic Kingdom's fireworks, or at Epcot, or at Hollywood Studios to see Fantasmic. If it is a celebration length thing, you only have to meet the celebration minimum. So that's one to two hours. And that can be good if you want something a little bit less formal for your wedding. And then, of course, you can do a ceremony and a full reception. And if you choose to also add a dessert party or another type of event around that, you totally can do that, but it won't count toward your overall event minimum. So that's something to know. So if you decided to have a ceremony, cake and champagne, and a dessert party, you can totally do that, but only the cake and champagne would count toward the event minimum. It's whatever your first catered event is after the ceremony. That's the one that counts toward the event minimum. And then the other thing a lot of people don't know is you could do just a reception via Disney's fairy tale weddings. So for example, if you want to get married at a Catholic church offsite, you can still have a Disney's fairy tale wedding. You do your ceremony offsite and then your planner helps you coordinate the reception on site. And for those, the minimums, it depends on your location. So if you do your a reception inside a park, you're going to pay whatever the event minimum is for a park. And if you do it at a resort, you'll pay whatever the event minimum is for the resorts. Now, on top of all of that, they have a 25% service charge and a 6.5% tax that's on most things, including the service charge in some cases, and neither of those count toward the event minimum. So that is where Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide comes in because it will calculate those for you so you don't have to worry about what gets taxed and what gets service charged. And then it breaks it all out so you can actually see the amount that you're spending on top of your event minimum on service charge and tax. So Mary, when you guys were planning, did you always know you wanted a full reception or did you consider just doing a celebration afterward? So when we first started, I really was hoping to, you know, keep it as, you know, cheap as possible. So I, originally I thought, oh, I was going to do a celebration and, you know, just get married in the wedding pavilion, do the quick cake and champagne and call it a day. But the more that I sat and I thought, and I was like, you know, if I'm going to be spending money for food and I'm going to have to eat anyway. We might as well try and, you know, see if we can get the cost down on the food analysis and what our guests are going to experience with us and, you know, keeping that cost lowest. When planning the Disney wedding, food was something that Stephen and I both agreed on in terms of, you know, spending. That's something we both are passionate about and we love food. So we wanted to make sure that our food was the best of the best. And so we looked at the minimums and that's really why we leaned towards the brunch reception. We're big breakfast fans and that was also on the cheaper end. So as you mentioned, you know, you could get married and have a brunch reception for that $140 price point. And it was a little pricey, but you know, based on other information that I asked and I was talking to my planner as well as looking at your guide, you can kind of tweak and make that cost a little bit more reasonable in terms of using some of that cake money and moving that towards that cost as well. So when we were working with Disney's California Grill, we were actually able to customize our menu. 
which a lot of times people get scared because, believe it or not, with California Grill, you don't go through Disney catering. So you really don't have a whole lot of leeway. You have to pick from their menus. But if you have requests or things that you don't really like, you could always ask and say, hey, you know, I really don't like avocado toast, which is something Stephen and I agreed on. We're like, we really don't find the need for avocado toast. Can we cut this item from our menu? And they did. So like the worst they can say is no. That's always, that was our philosophy during our wedding planning process. The worst they can say is no. And so they actually cut down the avocado toast and that brought down our food minimum. And that left a little bit more money that we could take to customize our cake, which was really my pet project. I love baked goods so much. And so with a cake, you know, I really wanted it to be not only a decoration piece, but Disney has some of the best cupcakes around. So I was like, I just want those delicious flavors and I want it to look very cute. And so with us lowering that cost for the food, we were able to kind of splurge a little bit more on the cake and still keep it within that 140 minimum without going over it. That's a really good point because I think a lot of people see these price points and they think, oh, I have to spend $140 just on the meal or $210 just on the dinner. But that is actually your food, your drinks, and your cake. So what I often recommend people do if they're on a budget is to subtract the per person price of whatever beverage package they're going to add, subtract the per person price of their cake, which what you do is you submit the design to your planner and then they get a price from the chef. And then you can come back and find out how much per person you're spending on the cake. And then whatever's left over, so $140 minus what you're spending on drinks, what you're spending on cake, then you can ask the chef to customize a menu to that price point. Now, as Mary pointed out, there are certain locations, California Grill, Tiffin's, where you have to use their menus. So there's not as much flexibility, but they can still work with you, especially if you have dietary concerns. However, if you're at other locations, any place where the food is being provided by a convention center or a theme park, you can tell them, okay, I need a menu that costs $75 per person. We love barbecue or we want an around the world at Epcot theme. And they will come up with a menu that fits your budget, that meets those criteria. And that way you're spending exactly what the per person food and beverage minimum is, not having to worry about going over because you picked a menu that cost exactly $140 per person. Yeah. And Carrie, I think like that's the best piece of advice that I got from your guide. It was just because it says 140 doesn't mean you can't ask or inquire for more information at all. So, you know, asking to customize it is okay. (laughs) And they're not going to be mad. (laughs) They're not going to be inconvenienced. The worst they can say is, no, we can't do that for you. And the other thing that I want to mention too is that bill on consumption bar too. That's the way that we went and we saved a ton of money using the bill on consumption bar instead of just paying for like a straight package. So using that minimum, you know, of spending, okay, you have to stay within 140, you kind of can create it how you want you know, always ask. (laughs) And that's another good point. I actually have an entire show about how to choose your bar package that goes into this in detail. But basically what Mary's talking about is there are three different ways you can pay for drinks for your wedding. One is to pay for a flat rate package where you pay up front, it's unlimited drinks, and the money is gone. The second is called bill on consumption, and that is where you only pay for exactly what your guests drink. So they'll charge you something up front, but then if your guests drink less, you actually get a refund. 
And then the third way is to have a cash bar, which is where your guests have to pay for the drinks themselves. This is a still a bit controversial, depending on what area of the country you're from or what tradition you're from. This could be a total faux pas or it could be completely normal. But in general, people are deciding between whether they want to pay upfront for a package or if they want to pay based on what people actually drink. And again, there's a whole episode on this. I have three or four pages about it inside the chapter on food and beverages inside Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide. So that's definitely an area where you can save if you figure out which type of package is going to work for you. But all of this talk about saving money is a great segue into the next section, which is how do you control the costs for a Disney wedding? Now, Walt Disney World just doubled the event minimums for its lowest priced weddings. So unfortunately, now the cheapest way to get married at Walt Disney World starts at $15,000. So if you are trying to stick to that minimum, how can you do it? Here are some of my best tips, which can also be found inside the Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, but we are going to talk about them now. The number one way to control costs for your wedding is to limit your guest list. So I know that you're excited that you're getting married and you want to invite everybody and their brother, but the fewer people you have, the more money you are going to save. <laughs> As part of this, I also recommend you consider limiting the number of attendants because when you have attendants, you're going to probably have to provide personal floral like bouquets and boutonnieres. Often for bridesmaids, the couple will cover the cost of their hair and makeup. That also adds time onto the amount of time it takes you to get ready because now suddenly you have six people getting ready instead of just you. And then there are gifts that often people feel compelled to give their attendants thank you gifts and those cost money. So a great way to save money is not to have any attendance and just let your friends and family enjoy being guests of your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Um, attendance is definitely a way to save costs. And then as well as, you know, like you mentioned, keeping it more intimate in terms of how many guests you're inviting is critical too. It's very popular now to have like 200 people weddings, but if you keep it smaller, you do save quite a bit. And I feel like you don't spend as much time going around making small talk with people you maybe haven't seen in, you know, a year or two years or three years, you're actually having the people that are very important to you and you're not wasting all of your wedding time making small talk instead of, you know, enjoying your day. That's a really good point. I can't tell you how many couples I've interviewed where it breaks my heart to hear that they didn't even get to try the food at their wedding because they were too busy going around to all the different tables. So, and also it's become more common now to have at-home receptions, especially when you have a destination wedding like a Disney wedding. So you could have a smaller wedding at Disney and then have an inexpensive, large reception at home. It doesn't have to be with a DJ and a dance party and all that. It could be an open house or a potluck. And that way the people at home can come celebrate your event, but then they don't have to travel all the way out to Disney for your wedding. So another way to control costs for your wedding is to have your event on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday and have it at brunch. So Disney's new event minimums are lower Monday through Thursday. And I know sometimes people balk at this initially if they're not familiar with the way Disney weddings work, because in the real world, most people get married on Saturday nights. But when you are on vacation at Disney, all the days are the same. <laughs> and your guests are going to find that all the days are the same. And as long as it works with their schedule for flying in and flying flying out. Whether you get married on a Monday or a Saturday, it's not very different except the price can be hugely different. 
Another thing people balk at is having a brunch wedding. And Mary can speak to this a bit, but when you choose brunch, it's so much cheaper, not just because the per person food and beverage minimum is lower, but because you aren't expected to serve as much or any alcohol. The food choices are cheaper and it lets you save money to put toward other areas of your wedding that are important. Now, again, you may be thinking, well, a brunch wedding, I've never been to one of those. But again, at Disney, everything is different and your guests are going to be there. They're going to go where you need them to go, when you need them to go, and they're going to enjoy this unique experience that maybe they've never had at a wedding. I've never heard anybody complain about being fed Mickey waffles at a wedding (laughs) and having their meal in the morning instead of in the evening. And it gives your guests time to enjoy Disney for the rest of the day. I know. And Carrie, I think you're exactly correct in terms of like those fears as a bride. I know when I first was planning, I was like, okay, brunch is the cheapest option. This is the way that I can have my Disney wedding, but no one's going to want to get up that early. Like we are not morning people, my family. And boy, was I mistaken. I was also worried that no one was going to want to travel on a Thursday. My wedding was Thursday at 930 in the morning. And I was like, who's going to do this? Who's going to take the time off? And I was really kind of shocked at the amount of people that we actually had come to the wedding. I thought for sure we were going to end up with like a 15-person wedding. We invited 75, and we ended up having 55 people come. And they were actually thrilled. We had people who had never been to Disney ever. We had friends with kids that this was their first trip with their children, and they made an entire week out of it. And I remember at the end of the night, one of my guests came up to me and was like, you just made our first family vacation extra magical and thank you so much. And, you know, in my head, I didn't think that I was like, no one's going to want to do this. But all of my guests really it didn't phase them at all that it was a Thursday wedding in the brunch. Listen, Disney has the best breakfast food. I cannot say it enough. No one's mad, like you said, at Mickey Waffles at 10 in the morning. And my guests, even though it was a brunch wedding, we had a DJ, we had dancing, and you would have thought that this was an 8 p.m. wedding. My guests absolutely loved it. They were out on the dance floor still at 11 in the morning, and my guests loved the fact that they got to go home and they got to go to the pool and they got to go hang out with their kids in the park. So it was actually kind of nice. And as a bride as well, It was super amazing to actually wake up and not have to wait eight hours to marry my husband. (laughs) Um, And as a bride, it's a benefit too. You know, you get to take the whole entire day to celebrate you and your spouse. And I think that's extra magical too, that, you know, you don't have to wait as long and you get to celebrate for a full 24 hours, not just, you know, six hours in that day. (laughs) That's a great point. Now, another way to control costs, we touched on this earlier, is to just have your ceremony at Disney and then either book your own reservation at a restaurant or maybe add a dessert party later on. Dessert parties are considered celebrations, so they have that $100 per person food and beverage minimum rather than $140 or $210 if you do dinner. And this kind of ties into what Mary was talking about. If you are having your ceremony, say, in the morning and then there's a break and the dessert party is in the evening because the fireworks are shown in the evening and generally people have 
have dessert parties in front of the fireworks, a lot of people get nervous about that because they think, oh, I don't want to have a break in my day. But what many of us have found is that the break is actually a great way for your guests to have time to themselves to do what they want to do. It gives you a chance to take a nap if you need to. And it gives you something to look forward to after the ceremony is over. So your day isn't over when the ceremony is finished. You have something at the end of the night and it makes it such a special thing for your guests to come back together, to have a private location where they can watch the fireworks and eat desserts or dips and chips or finger foods. You don't have to just serve dessert. You can serve whatever kind of food you want at a dessert party. So that can be a unique experience unlike any wedding that they've been to. And so now let's talk about what is the cheapest Disney wedding you can have right now and how do you get there? Right now, the cheapest event minimum is $15,000 and that is with a $7,000 ceremony fee, which means you will then have $8,000 to spend with Disney on anything else for your ceremony, your reception or your celebration. So the total you would spend with Disney would be $15,000 plus, as we mentioned, service charge and tax. And how much the service charge and tax will be depends on what you add because certain things don't have tax or they don't have service charge. So that's where the fairy tale weddings guide comes in because it will calculate that automatically. And then you can see, okay, so I'm spending 15 grand with Disney, but actually the tax and service charge on top of that is another $2,500 that I need to budget for. If you're trying to do the cheapest wedding and you want to have portraits inside the theme parks, so Disney offers these pre-park opening photo shoots at Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, and Epcot, only couples who have an official Disney's fairy tale wedding can qualify for these. And so often people will say, well, what's the cheapest wedding I can have and still qualify so that I can get those portraits? And that would actually be a Disney Cruise Line wedding. So Disney Cruise weddings start at $3,500 plus the cost of your cruise fare. And that would qualify you for a portrait session and save you a bit of money on the cost of a Walt Disney World wedding. Now, Mary, I know you guys did a portrait session in Magic Kingdom. Can you talk a little bit about how that went? When we were planning for our day, Stephen and I really sat down and we thought about what is the most important experiences for our guests as well as ourselves when we're planning our wedding. What do we want to have happen? Where do we want to allocate our money? So that way we are, you know, having a truly splendid day and something that we want. And one thing that was really important for myself and my husband was those Magic Kingdom photos, those photos in front of the castle, and well as uh, Casey's Corner in the teacups that we have very funny stories involving those two places. So we wanted to make sure we had moments where we could take pictures in the teacups together. And our whole theme was Magic Kingdom. So we really wanted to make sure we had Magic Kingdom photos. So we made sure to budget and move things around. So we spent less on floral and decor in order to make things like our ride mix in and our photo shoot happen inside Magic Kingdom. And so we got up super early. I had to get up at 2.45 in the morning for hair and makeup. <laughs> I know people are probably like, oh my goodness, but it's so worth it. You're like on adrenaline the whole entire time. And then we were picked up outside of our hotel at six in the morning. And then we were bused into the Magic Kingdom. And it was very rare, but we were the only wedding couple getting photographed that day. Usually there's up to three couples in the park. There's three different routes that you can take to get your photos done. And so it was just us and they were doing a promo shoot for one of their advertisements. So we really didn't have to compete with a whole lot, but it was really worth every single penny. And I know some brides, you know, that's one of the first things they look at to cut, 
but really at the end of the day, what do you have but your memories and as well as those pictures. So I really wanted to make sure that I could fit those portrait sessions in. And it's worth every penny, I tell you. We, we just got ours back not too long ago and I absolutely love them. And it was so cool to be in Magic Kingdom without any guests in the park. It was so cool to see everything behind the scenes. And we also got free cotton candy. So we were taking pictures in front of the castle and the cotton candy lady came by and said, hey, do you want this? So <laughs> it was just such a great day. I got cotton candy at six in the morning and it was just really magical moment. <laughs> That's awesome. If you're interested in learning more about pre-park opening portrait sessions, I have a recent episode where I interview a bride who had them done at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland, and I will put the link to that episode in the notes for this show on DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. And of course, all the details and pricing are in Chapter 8 of the Fairy Tale Weddings Guide. So before we move on to booking, let's just talk about one last way to control costs for your wedding. A great way to do this is to make a sample budget either in Excel or use the one in the back of Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide. And you can go through the guide, get all the prices for the things you think you want, and plug them into the budget in the back of the guide. And then, like I say, it's going to calculate your exact personalized cost for you. So whereas the event minimum expenditure might be $25,000, this lets you put in, well, actually, I don't want this, or I do want that, or if we decide to add this, how much is it going to cost? How much will tax and service charge be? So that can help you stick to your budget. And I can't tell you how many people have told me that their budgets came in within like $100 of the estimate that they got using my guide. And that it's really helpful if you are trying to stick to a budget to be able to keep tabs on all your expenses that way. Yeah. And Carrie, I would mention that I absolutely think your guide is amazing in terms of this budget. With Disney's wedding planning process, if you are very type A oriented, where you need to know exactly what you're doing and being you know, very vigilant in your planning process, Disney sometimes isn't very clear and you have to ask a lot of questions to figure out what exactly things are going to cost. So using your guide really helped myself and my husband plan our wedding because we didn't have to wait for the email back from you know, the Disney's fairy tale team, which was awesome. But I knew the answers to those questions, or if I had more questions, they were a good backup resource to kind of help me. So your guide actually eliminated a lot of the questions that I had. So it was very successful. And I highly recommend not to plug, but I definitely think everyone should get it. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm so glad you found it helpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. And it was true. We, we were very close to what your guide said when we put in our budget and then what we actually got back. So it's very accurate. That's wonderful. Okay, so you've listened to this episode and you decided, that's it. I want to do this. I'm ready to book. How does it work? So when you're ready to book a Walt Disney World wedding, the first thing you need to know is the booking window. There's only a certain booking window in which Disney will talk to you or start planning with you. So if you want to do an event that has a full three-hour reception, you can contact Disney at 16 months out and book at 12 months out. So 16 months out from the date that you want, you can get the ball rolling with them. They'll send you information. They can pencil you in, which is an unofficial way of just noting what dates and times and locations you're interested in. Nothing is official till 12 months when they book you. This is all covered inside the first chapter of Fairytale Weddings Guide. We talk about the lottery 
don't stress out, but sometimes if there's competition for a certain venue, you might have to go into a lottery with other couples and it explains how to give them the different choices, the alternatives that you're interested in so that you have the best chance of getting what you want from the lottery. But usually that only happens for popular dates at the wedding pavilion. And then if you decide that you only want to do a ceremony or you want to do a ceremony and a celebration, which is that two-hour event like maybe just a dessert party or just a cake and champagne party, for those, you can contact them 12 months out and you can book at 10 months out. So sometimes people get stressed out and they think, well, if I can't book till 10 months out, all the good places will be gone. But there are so many places at Walt Disney World that you're bound to be able to get something that works for you, especially if you are flexible with time of day or your date or even some of your venues. The timeline for planning has changed a lot since COVID, and so things are being moved quite close to the actual date of your event. So what happens first is when you approach the 12-month or the 10-month mark, you can remind your sales consultant that, you know, you want to book. It might actually take them a week or two to get back to you around your date. So don't stress out if, you know, the 12-month mark of the date you want comes and you don't hear back from them. They know that you want it. They're working on it for you. Then they draw up what is called a letter of agreement, which is your contract for your wedding. And at this point, it is taking one to two months for them to get those ready. But you don't have to stress out because your date and your venues are locked in until they have your letter of agreement ready for you. So even if you haven't heard back from your sales consultant, you're not going to lose your date or your venues. They know that you want them. It's just taking them a while to get your letter of agreement ready. So once they send that back to you, you have two weeks to sign it and return it. So when you return the letter of agreement, Disney is going to ask for a deposit and about 75% of that deposit will apply toward your costs that we're going to talk about in a minute, your 90-day payment, your 30-day payment, and then they save $1,000 from your deposit to cover any overages on the day of. So if you decide spontaneously at your wedding that you want to order another bottle of champagne, that can come out of that $1,000 and then whatever is left, they return to you after the event. So after your letter of agreement is finalized, you are not assigned an event planner until three to six months before your event. And this can stress people out. And this is where the fairy tale weddings guide and the podcasts come in because it gives you information to help you keep planning on your end while you're waiting to start working with Disney. If you have questions while you're waiting, you can send them to a general address at Disney, which is www.df, as in Frank, tw.planner at disney.com. And if you put your letter of agreement reference number in the subject, it will help whoever picks up your email answer your question quicker. Then when you are assigned an event planner, you will be able to set up a virtual planning session sometime in the three to six month window where you meet with them over Zoom and you go over the entire day, the order of service, what transportation you need, anything but floral and decor, which is a separate meeting that you can have. All of this is covered in chapter one of the guide, so no need to take notes. They have started holding group menu tastings for couples who are having a full reception. So unfortunately, if you're just having a celebration like a dessert party, or if you're just doing a ceremony, of course, you wouldn't qualify for this. But if you're doing a full reception, about six months before your date, you will get invited to some menu tasting events that will occur about three to four months before your date. And if for some reason those don't work, you can always request to attend one of the earlier sessions that they have for couples who are getting married before you. But in general, they like to have you come about three to four months out. These menu tastings are interesting because you don't get to pick what you're going to taste. They 
pick a best of greatest hits menu, but it's also a way for them to introduce new things. And the planners are at the meeting and the chefs are at the meeting. So often you can sit down with a chef and say, look, we have dietary restrictions or we're interested in keeping our budget down or we hate beef, you know, and they will help you work out something on the spot. Same with your planners. They have your BEO with them at this menu tasting and they can help make changes for you. So it's a great way to do some in-person planning if you are able to get to Walt Disney World. You know, I asked if I could do a tasting and they told me no, because it's not with like the Disney catering. So because California Grill and I bet Tiffin's is the same way. They they don't get invited. And I asked, I was like, I don't, I can pay. I was like, I just want to call. <laughs> And they were like, they were like, no, we're sorry, but you can book a reservation at the California Grill, which is what we did. We actually made a trip and we went and we ate at the restaurant. But just a heads up, if you're a California Grill bride, you cannot go to the menu tasting, even if you ask. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, so there are certain places where if your meal is being made by the actual restaurant like California Grill, Tiffin's, or also at Enchanted Rose Lounge, because Disney Catering is not doing your meal, you don't qualify for the menu tasting. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That is kind of a bummer. But like you say, fortunately, you can go to California Grill anytime you want and try stuff there. That is true. And then when you go back for an anniversary, it's a special place you can also dine at later. So it's a benefit. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so then 90 days before your event, the event minimum expenditure is due. So that number, that big number we talked about at the beginning, that's based on your ceremony venue, the day of the week and time of day, that amount is due 90 days before your event minus the deposit that you've made. Now, sometimes people get stressed out because 90 days before their event, they don't have what's called a BEO, the banquet event order. And that is a Bible of your day that shows everything that's happening on your day and all of the costs. But it is not required in order for you to pay your event minimum expenditure because that amount is fixed based, as I said, on your date, your time, and your venue. So it doesn't matter what things you're adding to your wedding, they will not affect the cost of your event minimum expenditure. So you can pay that at 90 days, even if you don't have a BEO. About 45 days out from your event, you will get your first BEO. You will probably get many BEOs because this is a working draft of a Bible of your whole day. So when you first get it, go over it with a fine tooth comb, make sure that your names are spelled right, that the order of service is correct, that all the dates and times are right. And as you change things for your wedding, going back and forth with Disney, the BEO will change. It's supposed to be finalized 30 days out from your event, but in the last year or two, sometimes people have them finalized like the week of their event because they are working on so many weddings at once that sometimes it's not possible for your planner to work on your BEO at 30 days out because he or she is working on somebody else's BEO for an event that is much sooner. So unfortunately, this can be a little stressful, but we talk about all of this in the planning show, tips for making that go smoothly, how to read your BEO, all of this information is in the planning podcast that I will link and also in chapter one of Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide. And then the day of your event, you will probably not see your planner or your sales consultant. You will see what they call an experience team, which is a whole another set of planners who are with you throughout the whole day. And the number of people you have depends on the complexity of your event. But this team will be using your BEO as the guideline that tells them exactly what's supposed to be happening all day long. So that's why the BEO is so crucial and it's so important to make sure that it says what you want. So again, check out the wedding planning process update show that I'm going to link or read chapter one of the guide to get a better feel for exactly when things happen during the planning process. 
Yeah. And Carrie, I just want to mention some brides typically freak out. I know I was one of those. It's like, wait, the person that I've talked to for the past six months will not be at my wedding. <laughs> and I was a little kind of freaked out by that. I was like, what if it doesn't go well? But the best piece of advice that I got from former Disney brides, as well as yourself is, you know, you really just have to trust the process with Disney. Disney does this all the time. They do thousands of weddings. And so even though you're one of thousands, they're going to make sure that your day goes as smooth as possible. And I loved my day of team. Like I ended up afterwards handwriting them all letters and mailing them to Disney fairy tale weddings, like business building to give to them because they were just remarkable. And I've never felt like a celebrity before, but they definitely make sure that anything you need that they're there. And they made sure that Steven and I both had those moments together and, you know, really appreciated each other and had some time away from guests. And then also made sure we were always full and, you know, making sure everything was going very smoothly. So don't stress out and trust Disney in the process. I know it's easy for us to kind of be over planners sometimes. And we got to just let certain things go and it'll all work out. I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) So then before we wrap up the show, I just want to reiterate, you've been hearing us talk about it a lot, but the Fairytale Weddings Guide is going to be your best friend during this planning process, partially because you might have trouble getting in touch with Disney because they're so busy. This is a 234 page guidebook that's going to have all the answers that you're not getting from Disney until much closer to your date. So that can help you narrow down what you want. Like if you're not even close enough to contact Disney, you can use the guidebook to pick your venues and figure out roughly how much everything is going to cost. It has comprehensive current pricing and free updates if you get the ebook version. So for instance, I released an update two months ago and then just this week, Disney raised all their prices again. And within one day, I had an update ready so that you could just download it. You have the new version, you have all the new prices, and that is free. You don't have to buy the ebook again for that. There is the budget worksheet I keep harping on because it automatically calculates your personalized cost. So you can go on a a Facebook group and say, hey, how much does your Disney wedding cost? But your cost is going to be different than everybody else's because of what you want to add or customize about your day. So the budget worksheet is going to show you exactly what your cost is, including the tax and service charges. And then there are other worksheets back there that will help you track all your details. So if you are type A, there's a worksheet for what you want to talk to the DJ about. There's a worksheet that has little schedules you can cut out and give to people who are helping you with your day. There's a worksheet to track the guest list. All of that can be found in the back of the book. And of course, there are the money-saving tips that we've mentioned. A lot of them we've mentioned on this episode, but there are even more in the guide. There's a whole chapter on Disney alternatives. So if you decide, you know what, a Disney wedding is not for me, there's a whole chapter about other ways to get married on Disney property or very close by and still have that Disney feel to your wedding. There's complete info on private and group dining. So if you do just have a ceremony, there's a chart in the back that shows some of the most popular restaurants and whether they have private rooms, how to make group reservations. You can also use the guide to prep yourself for every step of the planning process. So as we mentioned in chapter one, it's going to break down exactly what happens when so that you don't have to be stressed out. If you haven't heard back from Disney, you'll know about when you should be expecting to hear from them and what you'll need to have ready when you do hear from them. And there is a chapter on honeymoons and anniversaries at the back of the book so that when your wedding is over and you want to plan some fun stuff for your honeymoon or you want to go back for your anniversary and order a replica of your wedding cake, all of that information is in the last chapter of the book. 
honestly, Carrie, your book was so helpful. Like I, I'm a teacher. So planning is like my forte. It's my comfort zone. And I think like weddings can be very stressful. And so it helped me a lot with my wedding planning anxiety to look at your guide because I didn't have to go back and forth. It literally like made me feel so much better. And I wasn't going crazy and thinking, okay, why haven't I heard from them? It's a year out. And as a, a bride, you always have people be like, like, you don't have your floral picked out. You have a year to go. And I'm like, I can't even talk, Laura. And so three months, according to Carrie's guide, <laughs> I was like, it's going to be okay. I promise. So it was very helpful. And I think like, I'm sure you've mentioned in other episodes too, but you know, going with outside vendors, I think sometimes is cheap option. And then, you know, sticking to what you want out of your day is really important too. So because of that, we got to do like a ride mix and because we read all those tips about the bill on consumption bar from your book. And so it really made our day go so smooth. That's wonderful. So Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experience. I think it's been really helpful for anyone who's considering a wedding or a vow renewal at Walt Disney World. And I appreciate your taking the time. Oh, I loved it, Carrie. This is honestly like a dream come true. I love it. I feel like I met a celebrity this evening. So thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's our show for today. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward, inviting you to join me again next week for another episode of the Disney Wedding Podcast. Past shows and tons of photos for each episode are available on my website, DisneyWeddingPodcast.com, or listen in your favorite podcast app. And for instant answers to all your Walt Disney World wedding questions, check out Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at FairyTaleWeddingsGuide.com. <laughs>